When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is One Hate Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me once again, he's back. Yes, I'm sick of telling you that he's an all star because he is. This crew is good, is all I'll say, is Mr. Stu Coot is back from the Cinephiles. Stu uh, underscore watches on the Twittersphere. He's been a part of the show from the very beginning episode, so of course he's a regular to come back and to talk in a scene where there's basically not a word of dialogue, just some beautiful, awesome actions, sound design, anticipation being built. It is the 71st minute of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus. Welcome back, Stu. I prefer the term unpaid intern. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many unpaid interns yeah. as part of this podcast. I, are... I keep running into them in the hallways. <laughs> uh, hey, guys. Hey. <laughs> I'm just I'm building my portfolio, my podcast portfolio. Oh, bless you. It's straight from here to Harper's Bazaar. That's, that's the trajectory I'm on. Uh, no, it's well, always a pleasure to come back. That's yeah, it. look, I, I try, you know, friends of the show know that I try and uh, feed my guests. Yes, yeah, um, no, you put on quite the show. Put put on a bit of food, uh, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, One Heat Minute is a voluntary <laughs> labour of love for everyone who's so, a part of it. So thank for, for not, everyone not who's... Not-for-profit organisation. For this NPO, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone who's been a part of it for all 70 episodes up to this point, Thank you. It's all a tax write-off. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the all the pork, pulled pork sliders oh, are a tax write-off. <laughs> <laughs> Some description. Oh, I wish I could figure that out. Actually, um, so we're back. Um, the last time we caught up, we're in a really, you know, beautiful closure scene of one relationship with uh, um, Justine and, and Vincent, kind of, you know, uh, ending on a very sort of melancholic note, and we get into this really you know, comforting, lovely scene with Lillian and Don Breeden, so Dennis Hayes, Bert, and uh, uh, I will just get her name because I always, always don't want to mess it up. It's Kim Staunton um, who, who plays uh, her. But now we're at the, we're finally at a moment, it's the 71st minute of this film, where the cops appear to have the upper hand. And we're in the box seat. We're in the box seat at a, at a, a stakeout, at, at a sting, and they're waiting for these guys to come to this diamond exchange. They've found, they've tailed them um, since we found out that clue slick and they're waiting here now to go. And, and what's brilliant about this scene as, we, as we've watched in preparation and we're going to watch with you guys and listen along in a minute is just that there is a lot happening, but none of it needs to, there's not a word that needs to be said. This is one of those sequences of heat where it's like total pure silent cinema, visual story, storytelling. Yeah. It's, a, it's one of those great use of score. 
Yes. Like we had when the, the very opening minute of this film, of just that, that rolling score, like this just ratchets up the tension. You did tease me that I got you into the show. 45 seconds of black screen. <laughs> <laughs> it, was the, it was the easiest preparation I've done so far. But the, the way the, the score just ratchets up and, mm. it's, and it's very, some cool things with the, the sound design in this, especially when Val Kilmer hits the lock and the, the actual sound of that actually cuts out. Because yes. I, I don't know if that's to be just because it's meant to be sort of how stealthy they are or mm. if it's sort of also that they're in, the, in this industrial area and there's meant to be nothing for miles. No one's meant to hear it. It's not like that loud twang of it mm. uh, or if it's to go to their sort of... really speaks of their efficiency as a crew. Yes. Because really, well, this is only the... We, this is, we're the second of three gigs we see them put heist we see them do. Yes. And, and, and the first one is... Is brute all, strength. Is brute strength and bluster, but it doesn't... The, the, the first one didn't have to be brute strength. It was like, it was very brutal and it was very loud and there was lots of bangs and smashes, but they were very clearly efficient. It just turned into sort of, you know, snap, snap, snap high order violence because of Wango. But in this one, it's much more, this is their finesse. This is their sneaking in at night. Like, um, and Vincent, I think calls it in that opening investigation, you know, check out any high line burglaries that have mystified us because these guys would go in on the prowl if they're smart enough to know, our response time, smart enough to set themselves up within a quarter mile of two freeways. Well, who hits this place? This is in the back end of nowhere. No, no. one even knows what it, what it, it, that it's probably there. No, it's it's just it's completely shrouded. There's nothing going. And the funny thing is, like you talk talk of like this sort of professionalism again of like how Tom Sizemore doesn't say it's done. Like he's only he's only like up a telegraph pole. He could have said, "Hey, it's S- done," but it's all. Hand gestures because they're silent and the way they go. Giant nods. Yeah, all very easy when you're under the. Because it's almost as if they adapt themselves when the adrenaline's pumping, keep it simple, stupid, just like big hand movements, like Mm. big, easy, yes, no kind of gestures. And and we will get into it in a minute, but I do really like that sort of portly Tom Sizemore is the guy that has to climb up the pole because there's plenty of like Australian electrical technicians I've seen climb up a pole that aren't as fit and gorgeous as Val Kilmer. (laughs) Their guy's had a few beers on the weekend. He's got a bit of a pot belly. (laughs) I, I love that Michael Mann's authenticity even went to the weight of his technicians. <laughs> Tom Sizemore was reading the script and he's like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Climb a pole? I'm getting a stuntman for this. <laughs> um, but let's check it out. It's, it's you know, we, we got to chat um, in the lead up to the big heist. We spoke in their first heist. I thought it'd be really great to get Stu back in amongst this second one just to talk, you know, just for pure contrast sake, um, building up that tension and that authenticity um, of, you know, what the police presence would be doing in this sort of sequence. And again, just looking at how good these guys operate, you know, we love, I think Stu's said it many times in this podcast before and I, and I frequently steal it is we love really looking at very good people, uh, very people who are really good at their jobs do yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and this is compelling, compelling to watch for us. So we're going to jump into this minute. We're going to check it out. It is a ripper. Um, and it's not much to listen to audibly, but if you're at home, it's one hour, 10, 70 minutes on the original theatrical cut of Heat. Um, uh, the 4K edition slightly seconds out, um, but you guys will figure out where exactly precisely we're up to based on um, Michael... Uh, Chirito, Tom Sizemore's character, climbing up a telegraph pole with those sort of spiky uh, shoe things to get himself up to where he has to use the handle. So we're going to jump into the minute. Have a listen.
open sesame. The thing I love is that there's about what eighteen different perspectives. There's so many shot. There's so many cuts to different perspectives in that. And starting with, um, I love the close up on the lock. Yes. Just the funny thing is that that's how like how much faith like the security of this place has just been put on such a tiny little hole that they're going to exploit, like. That's all that, like, yeah, these guys other, than, like, oh, other that, than a major alarm, uh, yeah, alarm system. alarm system, but, like, that's all you've got, like, is just this little, like, but just the focal, the focal point of putting the, the actual lock full frame in front of us while he's putting in the, like, the, it's like a giant pin or something that he's putting yeah, in. Yeah, it's, it's, like it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, bo- like a bolt, but it almost looks like it's been sharpened or whatever, yeah. to, like, to smash just through the lock through so it, that he can yeah. get get there so what, what Stu and I going to do we're just going to vamp just to cut through again to look at how many shots as we get to this this the beginning of the 71st minute so an hour and 10 on your on your dial if you're watching it's mid cut so it cuts immediately from a telegraph pole and it's sweeping in it's cutting to the movement so whether it's Pasquale Buber or Dove Honig who had this the command of this scene I'm not sure but you see um, Kilmer sweeping up then it's a cut it's only a split second you see him going up then it's a cut to the lock, so there's one. Then it's a cut back to Kilmer from that previous angle where he, he then bashes the lock in. So there's three cuts. We've got a fourth perspective shot cut of Sizemore climbing up to the top of there, back to Kilmer, so that's a fifth cut. Back to him at the door, lining up, and then a, an alternate cut again, that's six. An alternate cut there, just sort of putting a... Um, getting a bit of a fulcrum on this bolt that he's just smashed through the lock ready to go. So we're at six cuts, and a, and seven great, and eight. The great use is on the door as well, the emergency numbers. <laughs> yeah. Like no, one, no one's getting called right now no. when, they're, when they need the most with the cops outside watching on. Yeah. So you've got then, you, you're, you're at like size more up, seventh cut on, um, seventh cut is the emergency numbers, which is great. Please call investment grade metals. Um, you've then got a, a one-two cut as Sizemore flings around the leather around um, the pole. So you've got eight, nine to Vincent's crew, some great TV screens. This kind of blue infrared um, is, is like nine. So again, there's, there's at least 15 cuts in this, in this short minute. Back of the perspective shot to and Hannah. Just establishing the geography of where everyone is and what they're doing. You are not lost at all. No, no. There's a lot of cutting, but it's all... Um, I love on the from the criminals' perspective here. We're getting really emphasis on their proficiency and just showing how dexterous. Like Valkyrie is not looking for the tools; he knows precisely where they are. Yeah. Sizemore, for a guy who is absolutely adept with a pump-action shotgun, which we've seen, um, in, he's in, also the tech support seemingly for the crew because yeah. he was the one that did. He's the one that goes in for doing the the main the motherboard into the bank heist, isn't he? Underneath, yeah. It's him and and is it? It's him and Chris. Yeah, because Chris is bashing stuff out, and then when all yeah. the stuff comes down, he's um, jumping up. Yeah, Michael jumps up. In. So he's jumping in. He's linking into this, and then there's this great moment where Kilmer's smart enough here, and, and Shahelis he's smart enough to sort of just take stock of making sure no one is around. He does this great turn, and I love that we don't see De Niro in this either. No. 
Like it's great that he's just letting these he, two do their thing. He's in. It? So y- y- he knows that right now Treo's in the van. Yeah. I need to be in the van too because yep. these guys. I need to be on the street. I don't need to be yeah. on the street. I'm only cluttering up. Yep. There doesn't need to be an extra person because if someone drives past, then it looks like a tech is on a phone pole. And a guy's at the door. And a guy's at the door. Yep. So maybe it's someone who works there. It makes it a little bit more legit if there's a passerby. Sizemore fires up his computer, gets everything done. Um, Kilmer, as Christian Hillis, looks up and there's just this beautiful, very swaggery, yeah. uh, exaggerated nod um, from Sizemore to signal to go. Nod, nod, Confirmed acknowledge. by Kilmer as well, which Com- is important. Yeah, roger, yeah. roger with yep. a nod. Yep. Cling. Great sound. And the way the sound cuts out there as that's going through yeah. as well. It's, it's like almost the bolt, everything of the... Um, the incidental noises that are happening in the movie, and we're about you know only thirty six seconds into this minute. There's a lot happening. Um, the the sound design goes pop just to give you the beautiful clang of the bolt sound. Yeah. And Elliot Goldenthal's underlying score here for I think it's like forty seconds is this almost singular tone. He does little. Uh, flurries, if you like, to sort of change the pitch every now and then. It's, but it's, it's, a, it's tense. It's, it's a tension. It's a tension yeah. build. But there's some great stuff with the music, which I want to get to in a second. It cuts back again, the geography, open sesame. Um, you know, Vincent's got great commentary lines, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, like, yeah. The, because it is someone who's like, you know, it's almost like, oh, sit there, you'd say, what, a bingo, or there it is. Like, it's yeah. just enough to be like, you know, what else do you do? Like, they know how easy it is to break into places because they deal with it all the time. Yeah. So, And so, there they go. Vincent gives his little commentary there. And this is where the tone changes. What's so amazing, and guys, if you could... And and, and I might see... Um, I might see if I can cut. I'm actually going to see if I can cut in at 42 seconds of this minute. Just have a listen to the tone change in the next 20 seconds. So I'm going to be playing it as Stu and I are talking. The Right now, the sound all but cuts out. There's really not that much music at all because you want... they. It's almost like Elliot Goldenthal and Man here and the sound designers. They want you to hear the crinkle of the guy hidden yeah. in there. They want to hear... The SWAT, the SWAT team. The SWAT right, team. They want to hear um, the crazy radio guy who just happens to be carrying an Uzi. And then... What's even stranger in this tone, and I'm actually going to play it for Stu and I while we're quickly talking here, and I'll, and I'll put the full sound on. So if the recording's a bit funny, I'm sorry, but I just want to hear, hear how there's this almost weird electronic tone for the cops who are, in, um, who are all on this car, like inside a container. So... So the tone is re-established again with these guys in the quiet. You want to hear the crinkle of the paper there. And it's like a... See that weird synth tone? Yeah. yeah. Shift at the end? I just love the little... It's all, Well, the, the funny thing is it's almost... It's a heavy sound for the heavy guns. Yes. Like the big... Like the bad boys are there as well just around the corner. Yeah. Like the SWAT the, guys the, are the hiding cavalry. in it. The cavalry's in the container ship. But, and it goes to, I think, the the respect they have for just how dangerous these people are. Like they've come if it if they need to if they need to do the arrest, they're not Oh, you know, they are not underprepared in no, this scene. Coming to Unlike the heist scene, which sucked for them because they, they get it they on the hop. They're caught on the hop, but yeah. Caught on the hop. But in this scene, they know that these guys used they're not gonna muck around. high powered assault rifles and took out people and witnesses like it was just And they're a good crew. No problem. What a cool little tense scene. What a mastery of Angles, proficiency, and also then 
all the people watching. And another typical thing, you wouldn't say that man has won, like, he's beautifully, con- consistently inconsistent. So he doesn't go to the well, like, he doesn't often go to, like, that, that up-close shot of the lock. There aren't that many up-close shots of, like, inanimate objects in this film. Like, he no. doesn't get, he uses things very sparingly, but except when he really wants to just bring your attention to something short, sharp. Like, <coughs> there was a thing I was thinking about recently, as I said on another last episode I was on, um, they revisited uh, Pulp Fiction recently. And the same thing is that that's why I love Jackie Brown. Yes. Because there's a lot of things. Not only is the story, I think the story and the... the some of the acting is some of the strongest in, in um, Tarantino's stuff. But he does these little touches sometimes. There's a scene in Samuel L. Jackson's Beachside House when he goes to the cupboard. Or it could have been in Jack, it might be in Jackie's house. But there's a scene where someone opens a cupboard and he just does a, like, a zoom in on someone getting a mug out. Getting a and mug. it's just a, it's a nothing little shot, but it just sort of echoes the domestic nature of where they are in and amongst a serious conversation. And it's just... This little tiny little break, it's, it's nothing much, but it just breaks the scene up yeah. nicely. And it's like, it's the least sort of showy De Niro was, oh, De Niro, um, Tarantino was in those early days. So I find him, he's trying to go a bit showier as he gets better, oh, go, now, get, now get, he's growing got, older. Now he's, now he's got more filmmaking aptitude. Like, I think you, you make a great point. One of the things that Michael Mann maybe has um, over some of his contemporaries in just formal... Um, ability is when you make a lot of TV, especially as much TV as he's made with like Miami Vice that yeah. went on multiple seasons and years, you get a lot of time on set. You get a lot of time behind the camera. You get a lot of time in the editing suite and you learn some tricks. It's like John Ford. I'm going to quickly like, um, you know, the amazing American, uh, you know, icon, mm. John yeah. Ford, who basically invented the Western and, and I would say invented John Wayne, um, but, uh, but, you know, catapulted him into his career. I want to just quickly see how many films John Ford directed. Um, more than me. More, <laughs> just a few. More, more, a few more than me. More than both of us, I think we can fairly say. He directed 147 things, whether good. that's films. You get good at that. So by the time you hit something like, now, you know, he's got just... I'm just going by classic after classic. By the time he hit the searches in 1956, he's made more than 100 movies. Yeah. And so when people look at people's formal craft, their tricks, their command of how to convey a message, why to have it in a close-up, why to have this in an ambiguous sort of silhouette, why to have this in an open wide vista, why, why to, to establish sh- geography, why to why establish geography. All si- do it silently as well. And all of those tricks, um, you, know, you know, whatever your opinion is of, say, like a Scorsese... When you watch The Wolf of Wall Street, whether you like the movie or not, the content of the movie, when you're watching that, I remember watching it and and being sort of taken out of my body when I was watching it going, God, this guy knows how to move a camera. God, he knows how to show a scene. Even if it's one of debauchery of a young man, a 72-year-old man, it's a steady hand at the the wheel. Yeah. Like even if it's cocaine being done out of someone's uh, prostitute's (laughs) ass, but it looks great. Yeah, it's just like... Crazy little tricks like when DiCaprio's out uh, out of his mind on a quaalude and he's going down the steps and this, there's only four steps there in reality but there's a shot where it looks over at the steps and there feels like there's 10,000 yeah, stairs yeah, he's yeah, going to yeah. go down. Just little deft tricks like that. I think, you know, Scorsese's now made, what, 20, 30 movies, 40 movies maybe. And some of them pretty good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a few of them. Yeah. A few. But I think that's, 
one of those things where you look at someone who seems to go to their bag of tricks a bit more, maybe when you've had a lot of time, even in TV, because you're doing the production constantly, you're looking at, you know, ways to tell the story. I think after a long time, you get these tricks. So when he comes to heat, even though it's really, you know, what is it would be his sixth theatrical feature. So he's got, he's got Jericho Mile, he's got Thief, um, he's got The Keep, um, Manhunter, and then he goes to Last of the Mohicans. So it's his, it's his seventh. Yeah either TV movie or theatrical feature, um, he's got such a command of all these little tricks. And it was similar in um, the the bottle top coming off in another scene that we and, got to chat about. And only use it, there, again, sparingly. Sparingly. And that's why, you know, I, I said this, I brought this up when we talked the conversation about how, and it wasn't necessarily to throw shade on, like on um, Christopher Nolan for The Dark Knight, having their having their big conversation in the interrogation room. Yes. But one would think a lesser storyteller would have had the fact that it happens after this minute anyway of, of the, the, these guys getting interrupted and leaving. A lesser filmmaker would have had the cops pick, him, pick them up pick here. Pick them up here and no, get off. And then get off. But knowing that and have the confident, have Neil been confident talking in the prison cell or in the interrogation room knowing you don't have me for anything. Yes. Book me, book me or let me go. And then they're not gonna, it's not conducive to opening up and getting to that intimate conversation that we obviously go on to enjoy. Yes. But that's what I love about this scene. It's just that there's, there's the tension of the people watching, the watching, the watching. So when that noise hits the side of this thing, yeah. it no- the- sinks because of what that, that thud works because of this minute yes. of what he's set up of what the tension that he's built and the sound design and the, like, the way everything's done and the way that he's shown you 16 dudes are ready to go. There are machine guns. And you get the sense that these guys, like, they're the, dogs, the dogs have been taken, the leash has been taken off. They are ready. They're going to, the minute they see that green light, they're going to go at a million miles an hour and who knows what's going to happen. And also, there's a great thing about, we talk about geography of like where people are in the scene, but in this, it's like, where should sounds be coming from that, yeah. that you don't usually get in, in a big movie. It's like where, and, and that detail is so rich. It's like, where should a sound be coming from? Even Neil, we, we assume he's in the back of the van. He is with Treo. They know the sounds they should be hearing in that, in that empty yeah, street. It should be the chink. Should it should be the it chink should, of like Michael going up the, up, like the pole, up the pole, and maybe a flick of a leather band around, and it should be the bang, 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 just the quick, you know, not not overzealous with the the sledgehammer to get the lock in place, but get it in place. Chris is there waiting with his tool with his tool bag. He's there and he's waiting, and they should hear the clank. Then just Michael descending. Then there should be in that street, not a whimper. Because there is e- like industrial areas at night are eerie as fuck. They're, yeah, they are. Like there's nothing, there's something feels, you feel really vulnerable being in a place where all the roller doors are down. Yes. They're closed for business. So anything that's going on there can only be badness. Yes. Like you just. Or in Gost, or in Gosford where I grew up, there would be cars parked along and people shagging in there. Shagging, (laughs) shagging or smoking bongs. (laughs) Maybe both. (laughs) Maybe both. Maybe that's because it's more of a suburban, uh, but, but no, you're right. It's that when. These places, you know, much like people say, like safe, safest place to go at night, it's a cemetery, is because it should be dead quiet 
and at night your fear is I can't see what's coming, but you absolutely would hear what's coming in this place. Like and it, you, and it's not like when we saw them coming out of the restaurant and watching the cops stare down on them because no. then they've got the they've got the benefit of being unseen up on top and all the noise of them getting in cars and being with their partners. That's Here, that's so a circus. Ex- that's they're, a su- they're so exposed. That's right. They're just they're naked, literally standing there, going, "Don't like the smallest little thing. Don't look this way." They're they're thirty yards away from where they're like, you know, and and I'm going to try and get back to it because we do get a great view of it in just a second. So right now, oh, I'm just going to quickly. I've just I've just seen it in the freeze frame because we're playing the freeze frames at the moment. There's we are at one. We're at twenty two seconds in this minute, and Michael is up, uh, hoisted up on the telegraph pole, just making his connections. And over across the road in the right hand of frame, blurred, are the trucks where the cops are. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we later know that from what's coming, and we sort of know it from the, how the cops are positioned, but the reality is that it is so close. And we've seen it from the inside in this minute of the inside of, their, of the police, of the video, looking at yeah. like the infrared and the, or the night vision and the, the, the camera fixed on this. Yes. They're 20 metres. They're across the road. Because you can also... Because th- that pole is a little bit down from where their van is anyway. Yes. So it's so close. It's and then you think the, guys that, like, the, guy who's, like, the guy who's dressed like a homeless person or the guy who's in the, the bush yeah. would be somewhere even closer. Yeah, potentially. He, he, somewhere closer. And along this street, as, you, as we're looking at this, this precise second, it's a one... Um, it's it's seventy minutes and twenty three seconds. These guys who are positioned, you know, uh, along the road, maybe some homeless guys or whatever that aren't going to pose any kind of threat or any interruption. Um, there's just this the geography of this second. You're like Jesus. This is close. Yeah. This is all. This is super. And this is probably more tense than the actual uh, bank robbery. Oh yeah. Because we there's nothing like. Because we know in we know bank robberies that nothing's possibly going, and they're not doing the ratcheting up of the tension with the sound sound design. Either. And we also know that like a crowded valet bay at an expensive restaurant is a circus. As I was saying yeah, before, it's yeah, like yeah. you know you can comfortably sit up on the street, and also that there's a dominance. There's a dominance um, in that scene in the height in the height yeah. that they're looking up and down, and the way that they're framed, and they've got them in that moment. And what I love here is just even the decision broadly that to bring them back down to their level and they're on a level playing field right now and it's it's literally who's going to have the strength of wits to not who's going to blink who's going to blink who's going to show their hand because the showing of the hand is coming mm. um and it's either these cops get to pinch them right here and, and get, do it in a big bad way and put them away for a long time or someone's going to sit down really hard <laughs> what, a rele- what a release though when it happens has there been a good re- like a an interrupted heist moment like that. I was trying to think if it's been imitated. Can you? You're a bit no. of a cinephile like, catalogue as well. I like heist, but there's nothing really like that. That inter- I mean, the only one I can sort of think of that nearly does it is in um, in heist when thing, uh, Sam Rockwell's got the gun and he almost and he almost shows it and the troopers nearly see them when they when Gene Hackman's trying to do the roadworks. Yes, they're not doing. It's in the preparatory stuff, but they're not really like. It's, it's a, not in the middle of the heist where they're forced to walk no, away. No, but it's, ra- it's, a, it's a rash manoeuvre when he goes back to get his gun out. And yes. They, they, but that's about it. That's the one other thing off the top of my head. Yeah. I, I, I can't think of it either, but it, it's like... The only other one I can think of is almost, you know, is dropping of the coins in uh, 
uh, down Periscope when they're trying to when they're trying when they when they're trying to go silent <laughs> and the guy's right above them oh. he's buying the bubble gum and they oh, God. or that the guy farts on the submarine God. so that's that's probably on par but that's that's because I'm a juvenile and oh that, that's down Periscope. that's my cinephile cred right there when da- I'm bringing out down Periscope down Periscope is a huge one I and think- look that's Zucker Brothers right no uh, no I don't think so but it's Kelsey Grammer. At his at his filthy yeah. slutty best. It's it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's terrible. It's terribly good. It's oh, I haven't seen that in a million years. But yeah, like it's done in parody. Yeah. But this is done. This is very very serious. Very serious. And especially we we'll go on to the tension of the cops saying, especially the tactical cops going, "No, nah, we didn't get all dressed up for nothing. You've got a crime. We're acting." That isn't and, that isn't that an interesting dynamic, right? And like, again, and that that is that is. Like, I love the way that you put it. It's like, hey. I didn't get dressed up for nothing A got's here. a got. A got's like, a we got. We've got a result. We're going to get charges. That's a result. We all go home. We caught the bad guys. This is how it works. And I love that it's in, you know, the top dog reasserting dominance going, nah, I've got tactical control. You'll sit here all night. Like, is that, and like I supersede. It's that sort of the primate going, nah, the big silverback comes in and says, no, we're doing it my way. And, and what's great here is, and you talked about, you said the, you said the phrase naked, um, they are naked outside and you've got the, the other cops who've been hiding far enough away to be out of Michael's eye line, but yeah. they're on a rooftop. And I love that Vincent doesn't trust them to be by themselves. No, like Drucker no. in his team, who Drucker is essentially his number, um, you know, it, it sort of fluctuates between Bosco and Drucker as his yeah. number one guy. Yeah. He's got Drucker up there. And, and I love Michael T. Williamson because he's such a big unit. Yeah. He's massive. He's a massive guy. And, yeah. and, Depending on the role, like Bubba, he felt like he was four foot three. Yeah. And as 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 Drucker, he feels like he's six foot eight. Yeah. Then and then as Don King in Ali, he feels like he's larger than life. And then again, Fences last year, he yeah. felt like a, another big. It's a big performance big, by him. Yeah. yeah. So great here that they're all sort of out there. The SWAT teams are all out, and they're just sort of peering down. And but um, you do need the control, like, and he's at the back. You know, it's almost like the the quarterback. Yeah. You know, they got the... You've got the offensive line up yeah, front at 41 like, seconds. No, hold, hold, hold. Like, you're not doing anything. Like, Don't You're touch not going to move. No, do not move right now. This is, this is my party, yeah. and we're not going to move anywhere yeah. here. And it's tense. It's really tense. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great setup. And, and uh, the cool thing is, and again, it's just the, the, the deft touches. You know, you've got rubbish. You've got these, you know, and, and L.A., the reality of LA as a as a, a city littered with homeless people also helps the cops here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the crooks aren't paying crooks. them any attention. Yeah. But and you know, a guy listening to a little radio and you know, they're not paying attention, they've probably scouted a couple of yeah. homeless guys. And then yeah, this massive truck and you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys that are on this truck and one in the middle, and they have got big, heavy machines. Yeah, they're ready to party. Oh yeah, they are ready to fly out of there um, and so they're not far away as you said it is a great look though like that sort of that era of the LA sort of tactical uniform it's mm. like the black the black LA like usual police outfit looks great but I love it's sort of like you know from the movie SWAT and the TV show like yeah. that, that look is great yeah it's a, and it, like the only other modern mo- movie it reminds me of is like the beginning of the raid yeah. like where yeah. you've got a yeah. full SWAT like this is a SWAT tactical uniform helmets all look like that big Big assault weapons. Yeah. They're going in to shut this down. Yeah. Someone... Big so, handlebar I, masta- moustache. There's a lot of moustaches. Like, there's a lot of those moustaches. Mili- a, a lot of military moustache <laughs> power in this uh, final second. Um, but it comes in. 
and it's only Neil is like in this final second of this minute as he pokes his head in the door. And how clever again the 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 use of just the darkness. Yes. Like, you know, we've had minutes where conversations are shrouded and he appears like a magician from the dark. Yeah. Just pick a Oh, there he is. Oh, we're in. This is how I do it. I didn't touch a thing and here I am. And and he's just purely in like a supervisor yeah, capacity. Yeah. Bit just like a bit of a spectre. Like yeah. Just, just comes in, pokes yeah. his head through. We're good. Okay. Yeah. Everything good here, guys? Yeah. We can move on. I, I, one element of this movie that I obviously loved before, but I'm just now getting more in the throes of loving it is Elliot Goldenthal's score. Like it just, it does so many different things. Like it plays for, you know, sometimes it sounds like it's horror. Sometimes it plays like super percussive, boom, 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 chest thumping. Sometimes it plays for tension. And there's just such a dexterity between like, you know, um, you know, in some moments it feels like Junkie XL in Mad Max Fury Road and other times it feels like Bernard Herman in Taxi Driver. Like, yeah. there's not... Me- I, I, and it I, never I, tries to be bigger than the film. No. And I, I feel like, a bit like how this this scene builds attention. And I, when you came on Cinephiles, we talked about the very end of this. And I look forward to when you get there for this, but that that it feels like it earns the score that it goes out on. Yes. Like, it's like... It uses it so sparingly and it does so many different things and it's always in aid of the film. Yes. It's never trying to be bigger than the moments they're in. Or elevate it or intentionally elevate it to like crazy heights. It doesn't feel like it's doing that. Yeah. And then at the end, it's like, right, go for it. This is your moment to shine. And it does. Yes. Like it just swells up. But yeah, all throughout it, you're right. It's doing so many different things, which it should do. Yes. Like it should be there to always to aid and to, to, to give that oxygen to a scene and to do that little bit. To, to inspire whatever emotion it's trying to do, and I always think it gets there. Like, and but there's a lot of scores, and like, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing where they take, you know, and and, and I said Bernard Herrmann. So if you if you if you don't know Bernard Herrmann, just off the top of off, off the top of your head, his most famous scores. Uh, he was sort of a classic Hollywood, um, uh, you know, uh, composer. But his most famous score is arguably Taxi Driver. It's one of the last scores he ever did in his life, and that completely provides a almost conflicted romantic uh, glaze over the entire psychopathic, unreliable narrator of that movie. But that's in the music as well. Yeah. Like, it's a jarring... Yeah. Like, it's it's beautiful and haunting at the same time. Yes. It's not a nice... Like, you put it on, it's it's almost... You can relax to it, but it's... There's drums kicking in, and you're kind of like... It's a menace is coming to town. As we said on the very first minute of this, when it... That... The score that rolls in on that train yes. is Badness Coming to Town, yes. which is De Niro. And, and, it, and it had a touch of that as well. That sort of, there's a sweeping quality to it. But I find a lot of filmmakers and, and who work with people who do the scores, they almost set a tone with the score and they'll have like, you know, a centerpiece of a particular score or a, certain characters will have certain things and there's beats and then there's, but there's like a really strong connective tissue. The thing I like about Goldenthal's score is it is so reliant on what we're seeing on the screen at yeah. any given time yeah. that it's not every, it doesn't ever feel like it's sort of leading you on. And there's I a think, versatility to it. Yeah. Because I don't even, I've, I mean, I, it's one thing I'd need to go back and watch, but do they repeat any of this? Like, do they assign themes to Neil or to Vincent throughout or is he, is it, I don't think they do. No, like, I don't think they, they do. I, I think that there's... Because they don't get a lot of time by themselves. It's not like we get scenes of them doing a lot of, say, nighttime driving by themselves to establish... No. 
Um, time by themselves. Maybe cops and maybe the cops and robbers. There might be some crossover may, of the themes. Maybe the Wayne Grow death. Um, maybe the Wayne Grow death scene uh, has the same notes as the last scene that we did together. So possibly we'll it'd, be, to, it'd be an interesting thing to go back and just have a look from scene to scene. Just try and do because one of my favorite things. So is you like, just you mean go back and do another one? Yeah, 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 of every yeah right, right from the beginning. <laughs> but it's one thing I love. You know, it's I what makes you. so. Like and obviously it's Williams. It's what makes Star Wars so so successful. One of the many things that makes it successful. But it's the use of the themes. So it'll be like you know the Force theme. The, you know, there's a Ray's great, theme is so great. Ray's, the, theme's Ray's great. theme's so um, great. There's a, a an awesome podcast w, um, da- David Collins does in relation to it's like the soundtrack show, and he breaks down. Um, he'll take very famous soundtracks and break them down show by show, and he'll do like you know the Force theme will pop up seventeen times in A New Hope. And you don't even know it's there, like, until you, someone breaks it down and it can be woven within another sound. But you're like, it's doing something each time, even subconsciously when it kicks in. It's giving you an emotional reaction you didn't know. Yeah, it's just, it's almost like the hairs on the back of your neck are sticking up. And it goes up. You know, and same with this. Like, you know, if you did that in complete silence, completely different, like, completely it's different. different scene. It's even. different. But I would argue that the theme in this moment, and maybe in other moments, is more important than even the dialogue. Oh, for sure. Just keep the score. Kill yeah, the yeah. kill all the dialogue. You could kill the sound design. Yeah. <laughs> you could kill the clanking, the clanking up and the twang yeah. going in. Yeah. You just ha- you could even kill the rustling, kill, yeah. kill everything, yeah. and the tension would get you across the line. Yeah, for sure. So, and even just the the gaze as we again we go back to the gaze of people looking on. Again, all the hunters there ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you could just do it all visually. Yeah. You know. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of One Eight Minutes. Stu, thank you so much for coming back again. Will you come back? Oh, always. I work here. You're the the unpaid intern. I'm Johnny Punchclock around here. Got to bundy off. Guys, um, this has been One Heat Minute. Thank you so much for listening um, and subscribing and rating and reviewing and all that stuff. OneHeatMinute.com is where to find us, but we are on all the right uh, podcast apps that you can go and check out, um, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. Thank you to Garth Franklin for our web design, Paul Davies for our music. Thank you, Mr. Stu Coot. You can find him at Stu underscore watches um, on the Twitter sphere and at Cinephiles um, is where you can find his podcast, Cinephiles.com for everything there. Stu, did I miss anything? No, that's it. That's That's all my places. Excellent. Guys, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.